0: ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, today is the day that um, we're going to kind of comb through PFF a little bit more in depth. We're a little bit short on time with that. Do have some news and notes to talk about. Um, Also got some questions from the folks over at Patreon. And if I can get this done fast enough, I might be able to um, spend about thirty seconds playing Civ before my family gets home. So wish me luck on that. But I do want to start off with the news that um, apparently David Bakhtiari been kind of talking about several players. Actually, it's been very weird with these lingering injuries. Where we kind of, I mean, we, there was talk at one point David Bakhtiari might play Week One. That may have been ridiculous. But um, it, it made about as much sense as this is making, right? The, the odds of him coming back week one would be something that you would think only a superhuman NFL athlete could do, but he'll be back sooner than later. Apparently, there have been some some pretty big issues where the Packers realized, um, I, I guess I don't know the exact details, but they couldn't quite get him up to 100%. It sounded like there was still some lingering pain, so they decided the best thing that they can do because this is just not getting better is he went in for more surgery. Now, it was relatively minor surgery, just kind of cleaning up the area a bit. But the expectation is a couple weeks, he should be able to be back. We're kind of now hoping for after the bye, which is what some people were thinking anyways. The way that they phrased it online that I saw is hoping he can come back to help down the stretch. That does not sound like after the bye to me. That sounds like hopefully he'll be back for the playoffs is what that sounds like to me. I'm just reading between the lines. We'll see what happens but um, it does not sound super promising. Looking at news within the division, um, apparently not only is Justin Fields hurt, but Jared Goff is hurt. Um, Head coach Dan Campbell says he's 50-50 to start, so this may be the battle of the backups. Um, With that said, again, Andy Dalton is... um, I mean, he... he, I hate to say he might be the best quarterback on either team, but that, that might just be the reality. So technically it's true that both starting quarterbacks are out and in reality it's kind of like the Bears are going to start their starting quarterback for the first time in a while who's not very good but he's the best option they have and then the Lions I don't know what they're going to do I wish I could have said that about Jared Goff last week with uh, what's his name playing but um, I mean let's let's be honest we knew we knew that that was going to be the case right I mean that, that whole thing was always so stupid Tim Boyle that's his name Tim Boyle was never really very good I don't I don't know where this obsession came, and it happens with a lot of different players, like people, you know, um, I, MVS, I guess Kevin King. It's a little bit unfair because they're starters in the NFL and they have made big impacts. Tim Boyle, not so much, but just every once in a while, people just get obsessed and swear that they're really good players or they're going to be really good players. And I don't know where that comes from. But um, Tim Boyle was never really good at anything. Occasionally, he looked decent against you know, third string defenses in the preseason, but I don't even know that he did that all that often. Anyways, um, in other news, talking about the Chicago Bears, there was some rumblings that head coach Matt Nagy may be fired after the Thursday game. I'll be honest, I don't necessarily buy that. It just doesn't really make sense. If they've made the decision to move on, why would they wait until after Thursday? The, The biggest reason it doesn't make any sense, what if they win? I understand, it's just, well, it's just the Lions, but you know how bad of a look that is? After winning a football game, you fire your head coach? Has that ever happened in the history of football? I would be surprised if it has. I mean, not including any serious, crazy allegations. You know, it may, may have happened with the Raiders. I don't know if they won that game prior to him getting fired or not, but you know that's not what I'm talking about. You lead your team to victory in the face of adversity. Short week, holiday, your starting quarterbacks out been a rough season and you, you beat a division rival and get fired? That doesn't make any sense. So I let me track down where that came from, because I kind of want to know who I'm calling a liar. Apparently it was by a man named Mark Conkle. Um, I see here he was a Pulitzer Prize winner, but I will say it doesn't help his case that when you go to his Twitter profile, the first thing it says, or the only thing it says or his uh, description, or whatever you call that, is storyteller. <laughs> that That's iffy. But it's right here, it's still the top story. Matt Nagy will coach his last Chicago Bears game on Thanksgiving in Detroit, a top source tells Patch, which is who he works for, Patch.com. So obviously he's not going to list his sources, I'm not going to get into that, that's just a thing that happens. But um, I will say the, the interesting part about this, which leads me even more to believe that this is completely false... If you read the article by Patch, and I'll I'll, I'll just start reading from the beginning, Chicago, for disgruntled Bears fans looking for something to be thankful for after five straight losses, this is it. Matt Nagy will coach his last game for the Bears on Thanksgiving in Detroit, a top source with knowledge of the decision told Patch. Here's the interesting part. Nagy was informed of his pending post-Turkey Day termination on Monday, the source said. Now, I don't have to go back because he must have updated his article. He says here, Tuesday, in his news conference at Hallis Hall, Nagy told reporters, quote, that's not accurate. So let me get this straight. This is how the story goes. They lose a game. The uh, leadership, I don't know if it's McCaskey or, or who exactly would be doing this kind of thing, makes a decision and has this horrible thing that everybody has to do and everybody hates to have to do where you call somebody into your office to fire them. It's got to be a horrible thing. You got to do it to your players. You got to do it to coaches and GMs and, and middle managers or whatever else. Terrible part of the job, right? And so your stomach's in knots. And the decision is going to be you're going to call him into the office. He's already probably assuming this is really bad news. You sit him down in the chair and you say, what? Matt, uh, look, you know we love you, man. And I'll be the first to admit we didn't we didn't do our best in giving you support. But it's pretty obvious to us that this is not working. And unfortunately, we're going to have to go in a different direction starting Friday. So if you wouldn't mind actually sticking around and uh, coaching on Thursday. You know, I you know what? Let's not do this today. Why, why forget this, forget the meeting. Come talk to me on Friday, okay? you're fine. Everything's great. You're doing great. Seriously, role play that for me. Tell me how that goes. They had a sit-down meeting where they pre-fired... Don't make me pre-fire you. You wouldn't dare. Watch this. You're pre-fired. They pre-fired Matt Nagy. Is that, is that what I'm supposed to believe? To be completely honest, the, the scenario never made sense, but as soon as they went on to say that he was told about it. I just, I don't, I don't get that. I mean, it, it, I've never been a manager or a boss, but isn't it manager boss 101? You don't fire somebody and then say, okay, go back to your desk and hang out for a while. Don't you usually want it to be a real quick, you need to get out the door immediately kind of a situation? Because, you know, we just fired you and now this is weird and I don't want you to do anything bad. <laughs> I, give me one reason why you would fire somebody. And, and okay, well, they didn't fire them. They said they're going to fire them. Same thing. If your boss called you into the office and said, hey, just so you know, you're doing a great job. By the way, on Friday, I'm going to ask you to pack your stuff. This is the most absurd thing I've ever heard in my life. Now, I will say this, and maybe this is... Um, This might be Mark Conkle, or let's just say, who wrote this? Gene Chamberlain actually wrote this article. I don't know why Mr. Conkle was given credit, probably because he tweeted it and people thought he did. I don't know. Maybe this is just a guy reading the tea leaves. Because, let me give you an example, even though I didn't even tell you what I'm talking about yet. Let me give you an example anyways. I technically called it when Mike McCarthy got fired. And a lot of people thought that I was going, I was incorrect on that. If I was really smart, which I'm not, but if I was, although nobody would believe me anyways, but whatever, let's just zipulate. If I was really smart, what I would have done is do an emergency podcast where I say, I just got inside source from within the organization saying, Mike McCarthy is about to be fired. Now, obviously, that's high risk, high reward, but at the same time, see, see, I'm way too cautious about being wrong. I don't like to be wrong. That's why I sometimes over-explain stuff, and I and I explain things that don't really need to be said, but because there's three people that do need to hear it, that if they don't hear it, they're going to come after me, I have to say it. I got to cover my bases, man. Being correct is just the, the, the only thing that matters. Not to say you can't try and get things wrong, but it's all in the pursuit of trying to understand what's actually going on. And I, I wouldn't have... The guts to lie to that degree, because odds are, I mean, it's it's you know, it's, it's let's just say it's a five percent chance. Someone like me, no way. But you're looking at five percent chance that I can say that I've got an inside source and I got a, And look at Ian Rappaport and everybody picked this up just by suggesting it. It's everywhere. So you could see why somebody would lie about something like that. And yeah, I am saying lie because I you know, I just have a hard time believing believing somebody that is a legitimate source has any news that would be anything like this. And I say legitimate source because, yeah, maybe somebody would have come forward, you know, some guy that works at the stadium, like, dude, I I overheard this conversation. You know, just, just lying, but that's not a, a good source and that doesn't make any sense. Anyways, all that to say, um, the reason why you might see that coming is there. there isn't a terrible chance that the Lions win. There really isn't. I mean, the Bears have been horrible in every facet of the game. Now, I I'm not saying the Bears are worse than the Lions, same thing I said about the Packers, Vikings, but it's as we know, the NFL isn't just about who's better and who's worse, right? I mean, it's it's close enough that um it, it's it's not impossible. It's not super hard to stretch your brain to imagine the Bears losing this game. If that happens, I could absolutely see the Bears saying enough is enough. And if somebody were smart enough to get out in front of that, kudos to them anyways I had no intention of taking a break now but um, I gotta kind of hit reset just saw the news that uh, eight-year-old boy who was in that parade just succumbed to his injuries and passed away eight-year-old kid man eight-year-old freaking kid anyways I got the rent o- rant off my system and I promptly deleted it so you're welcome but again um, take a break I'm gonna actually take an actual break and again, reset and whatnot, get back in football mode, but um, just just pray for these families. I mean, Thanksgiving is Thursday. Christmas is right around the corner. According to this tweet here, an um, eight-year-old boy died, and his 12-year-old brother is currently in the ICU, along with many other people, including several children. I can't even fathom the, uh, well, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high value Jordan love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark until now introducing slab packs from ArenaClub.com, The only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards and clear hit rates for each one. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. All right, we got the news and notes and stuff out of the way. Let's just rip through. Let's start with PFF. So if you want a bigger overview of just the the grades and whatnot, I did that yesterday. I would encourage you to go back and look at that. Um, talked a little bit about blocking. Um, overall, the offensive line did a very good job pass blocking, did a bad job run blocking. That's kind of... I don't. I don't want to say it's the story of the team, but it's. I guess it's just a, a trade off I'm willing to do right now. I know I've been griping about run blocking, but considering as bad as things are and probably will be at least for a couple more weeks, um, I'll happily tra- take that trade off. Now, the positive with the run blocking is, despite the fact that literally not one of our offensive linemen did a good job, some people did, and those people are Mercedes Lewis. He's a regular around these parts. Equinemius St. Brown, who just decided that he was going to be um, an elite player in every facet of the game all of a sudden, I would not mind a late resurgence from him. Not expecting it, but I would be more than happy to find out that he just woke up and became awesome. And as I kind of talked about yesterday, Josiah DeGuara, number one um, in that facet. And I, it wasn't even that it was like one or two times. Uh, Equinemius run blocking six times, Josiah Aguara nine times, and for reference, Mercedes Lewis was 10 times. So that's about as much as you're going to get as a non-offensive lineman, especially on a team that refuses to run the ball. Um, the offensive linemen in particular, if you want to know how well they did run blocking, the top guy, uh, sorry to break your heart, was Elton Jenkins with the 63 overall grade. Um, after that, Yash Nyman with basically a 60.0 overall grade. Yash did, it's not just because he didn't play very much. He had a fantastic pass blocking grade, which we'll get to. But, uh, Yash who, by the way, it's been a while since he's played. So it's been a while since we've given kudos to Yash, but I don't know where he came from, but dude has been, uh, well, I probably just stopped talking cause I don't want to jinx it. And yes, I'm superstitious. Um, after that, you got to scroll basically all the way to the bottom the bottom four players are the rest of our offensive linemen. Uh, After that is John Runyon, 55, Lucas Patrick, 54, Royce Newman, 52, and Billy Turner, 51. Um, Those are the bottom four players, and um, everybody else, all the wide receivers, uh, running backs, the rest of the tight ends, they're all in between and above that, which is not really what you want to see. I know they have different tasks, you know, as far as, you know, wide receivers are blocking corners, so it's kind of not fair, but you still would like to see the people who are paid to run block be better at run blocking than your um, undrafted free agent wide receivers. Just kind of a general, general preference. Um, Pass blocking, we'll do grades and then stats. There are only 10 pressures on the day, but in terms of grades, again, everybody, I shouldn't say everybody, not everybody was good. Overall, most of the team did very well. Unfortunately, the lowest guy and one of the only guys, one of two that was under 60, was Lucas Patrick, our center. Lucas Patrick was off to a really good start to start the season. Um, it hasn't been super dominant. And so, whereas before I was saying, you know, Josh Myers, I like the guy. I'm glad we drafted him and all that. But Lucas has actually been doing better. I don't know that that's necessarily the case anymore. Maybe he's just in a bit of a slump. But it's been uh, several weeks. I mean, week one, he was great. Um, Came back week six, or came back week five. Week six was good. And then basically since then, 45, 60, 53, 60, 54, as far as overall grades. Occasionally, he'll pop up with a good pass blocking grade. Week eight, 78. Um, Week 10, 80. In between those two weeks and week nine, 22 overall. So Lucas Patrick is struggling. in in kind of a big way here. And if we're going to trash Royce, we should probably mention that, especially considering Royce, right? I mean, in the past, Billy Turner was the biggest problem, who is on the right side. Then you got the right guard, and now you got the center. That whole right side, but especially the interior, is becoming a very serious issue. Um, The only other guy that was below a 60 pass blocking was Mercedes Lewis. Everybody else was at least average, and we might as well just go through the whole list here. Billy Turner was the next lowest at 62, Josiah Deguara 68, uh, who cares about Tyler Davis, John Runyon 70, A.J. Dillon 74, Elton Jenkins 76, Patrick Taylor 78, Royce Newman 81, hello Royce, and uh, Yash Nyman 83.5. In fact, let's take a look at Royce for a second, because I want to make sure I'm remembering this properly. Three out of his last four weeks, he's graded out Fantastic. Um, unfortunately week nine against Kansas city, I don't know what the heck was going on in Kansas city, which I'm so uh, disgusted by that. <laughs> it just, that was when Jordan Love was playing. Now maybe that's Jordan Love's fault. I, w- I would like to think that PFF would not create an offensive lineman negatively because the quarterback is doing something wrong. For example, if it's been five seconds, you, but, but he didn't have five seconds. So apparently our offensive line is like, nah, it's not Rodgers, why do I care? I cannot express to you how frustrating that is. It's not even about Aaron Rodgers versus Jordan Love. This is about, this is our starting quarterback. This is the guy, whether it's next year, two years, three years, he's all we have. And if this guy can succeed, we're going to have a elite franchise for another 10-15 years. If he can't, we might be a garbage franchise for a long time. I don't need him being mentally and emotionally wrecked because you decided to take the day off because Rodgers isn't here. Our offensive lines, pretty much across the board, their worst day is the day Jordan Love shows up. That doesn't make me super excited. But anyways, aside from that, um, Royce Newman's pass blocking grades, 82, 77, and 81. Um, I know everybody's really mad at him, but he may have turned a corner. And if that is Jordan Love's fault, for whatever reason, or Matt LaFleur's fault, or, or whatever kind of a weird fluke, we're talking about, if we remove that, three games in a row. That's significant. And although the run blocking isn't there, we're talking 58, 56, 72, and 52, three below average and one good game. I mean, I, that's, I'm good with it. Um, something to keep monitoring, because that's, that's big. You know, we know kind of what Lucas Patrick is. I don't expect Lucas Patrick to become great someday. Royce, you never know. We saw some good things. We got real excited about what he did in the preseason. He was, I think, the best guard, maybe the one of the best offensive linemen in all of the preseason, which doesn't necessarily mean anything. But it's exciting, and it shows some level of, of promise. And um, now we've got him. Uh, let, let's look at it. I'm just curious. Obviously, that 28 overall grade is going to um, pull him down. But even with that, last four weeks... Even with a 20-something overall grade, in one of these weeks, in four weeks, he's the 33rd highest graded offensive lineman. Now, that 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 wouldn't be impressive for any other human being, but we're talking about a guy that we're, we, we've all written him off, myself included. Like, this guy's just got to go. If we get really irresponsible with the stats and get rid of that game, the Kansas City game, sixth overall, with an 84 overall pass blocking grade. Now, again, that's somewhat irresponsible. And I'm not saying that this is a legit number that we should take seriously, but maybe. (laughs) It's worth keeping an eye on. The the Rams game is going to probably be tough, depending on how much time he's going to spend with Aaron Donald. Anyways, continuing on, um, number one pass blocker in this game, Yash Naiman. Now, again, small sample size, but, um, you know, just because it's a small sample size doesn't mean it has to be a good day. Could have easily just been 25, and we say, well, small sample size. Um, We needed him to step up, and he did, and that's all the information I've got for you. Um, In terms of statistics, I mentioned there were 10 pressures in this game. Um, John Runyon and Elton Jenkins each gave up one pressure, which were hurries. Mercedes Lewis gave up a pressure, which was the only sack of the day. They credited that to Mercedes Lewis. Royce Newman had two pressures, including a hit and a hurry. Billy Turner had two pressures, both of which were hurries, and then Lucas Patrick gave up the most pressures. All three were hurries, which is nice, but again, especially along the interior, usually you're giving up less pressures. The fact that he gave up the most from the center position, not great. Uh, Aaron Rodgers already gave his grade. He graded out um, just fine. But uh, the one thing I wanted to highlight, 85 overall grade, including a uh, 21 of 26, which is 80%, 342 yards, and two touchdowns when not under pressure. While under pressure, he was two of seven, 43 yards, two touchdowns. Now, the two touchdowns are interesting, (laughs) right? The fact that both of his completions, but we're talking 28% um, completion rate, 43 yards, 61 overall grade. Um, Dara on Twitter, another Dara stat. He, um, that actually sounds like a word, doesn't it? A Dara stat. It's next to the hemostat. You know what I mean? Anyways, he pointed out how I think Aaron Rodgers is number, the number one quarterback while being kept clean and is ranked like number 31 or 32 while under pressure. Most people wanted to instantly dismiss that, which is probably part of the reason why I don't haven't talked about it very much. I mean, I bring it up like every time we actually dive into this stat where I mentioned he's not really very good under pressure, um, but it is a problem. And I, and I think it really kind of goes to, I don't know, I don't know how big of a deal I want to make this. When, when you go all the way back and you think about when things go bad, they go really bad. One of the things I've always said to other people on other podcasts is if you want to beat the Packers, get pressure on Aaron Rodgers. And I never really meant it from a standpoint of he's terrible under pressure. I more or less meant it in terms of, I don't know, he, he kind of starts to get down on himself and all this stuff. But whether or not that's true, the fact remains, he has consistently been one of the worst quarterbacks under pressure. And, and you wouldn't expect that. With his mental acuity and the ability to be able to know you know, if I need to get rid of the ball quick, I should know where to go. And with his uber-athleticism, his ability to throw off platform and his incredible accuracy, he's the exact kind of person you would expect to dominate while under pressure. But he doesn't. And and I've said in the past, well, most quarterbacks struggle under pressure. But that's not true of everybody. And not everybody struggles as much as he does. So to put this even in more perspective, um, this is kind of crazy. Um, I'm going to look at all quarterbacks, all quarterbacks in the entire world, passing grades. Aaron Rodgers is ranked eleventh out of everybody. This is the passing, so I don't know where Dara got that high of a grade, but anyways, he is behind Russell Wilson, Justin Herbert, Mac Jones, Matt Ryan, Joe Burrow, Brian Hoyer, Ryan Tannehill, Geno Smith, Tom Brady, Kirk Cousins. Again, I'm I'm putting everybody in here. I'm not filtering anything out. There are fifty. How many quarterbacks do we got here? 67 quarterbacks, technically. Aaron Rodgers, while under pressure, uh, where did he go? I lost him here. Ranks 48th. He has a 41.8 overall grade while under pressure. If we do the filtering thing, Aaron Rodgers is 10th while not under pressure. He ranks 28th out of 37 while under pressure. The other somewhat upsetting thing is you say, well, again, everybody kind of struggles well under pressure, but not to this degree. And I can't find a single talented quarterback underneath them: Trevor Lawrence, Baker Mayfield, Jameis Winston, Sam Darnold, Davis Mills, Geno Smith, Ben Roethlisberger, Jimmy Garoppolo, and dead last is my best friend, Justin Fields. Again, most struggle, but there are nine quarterbacks with a 60 overall grade or higher: Derek Carr, Teddy Bridgewater, Mac Jones, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts. And then in the 70s, Jacoby Brissett, Trevor Simeon, Dak Prescott, and Kyler Murray is number one. So, you know, I mean, and if you go back in time, it really hasn't been as bad. Obviously, in his MVP season, he was actually quite high. Um, So maybe this is a one-year anomaly. It looks like he's relatively top 10-ish. Kind of going back a few years, trying to get a general idea. Um, Oh yeah, 2016, he was solid. So I don't know. It's a very strange thing. Again, under pressure is something that most quarterbacks don't like, but he is particularly bad this year under pressure. And one of the things I've always said about that is, and and it's why I, I, I mentioned this during his MVP season, at the end of the day, it kind of becomes a ratio. If the average quarterback is like an 80 overall grade while kept clean and a 50 overall grade while under pressure, Let's say every quarterback was that way. Every quarterback's going to have a different grade at the end of the season. They're all the exact same talent. In other words, take the exact same quarterback and the exact same talent in the exact same situation, just just literally multiply them, copy and paste, put them on all 32 different teams, they're all going to have different grades because it all just becomes a ratio of how many times you were pressured and how many times you weren't. And so last year when Aaron Rodgers had this very, very, very good offensive line and was never under pressure... He was a lot better. This year, because there's such a stark contrast, even more so than in the past, again, elite quarterback um, with no pressure, one of the worst while under pressure, the amount of pressure he has, and, and again, we can, hopefully this just goes away and he, you know, we, we figure out a better solution to under pressure. Maybe part of it is we don't regress back to what we used to do where, you know, there's pressure. Oh no, let's run everybody down. You know, hey, this whole Mike McCarthy offense thing, I don't get it offensive line is banged up. I know what we do. Let's have everybody run deep routes and stand in the pocket for four and a half seconds and launch the ball down the field. I, I don't get it. But if this doesn't just get corrected, then having an offensive line that blocks really well is the only way we get a really good version of Aaron Rodgers back. Because at this level, if, if a team is able to generate a lot of pressure, he's going to perform poorly. So that's the only thing I really had to point out about Aaron Rodgers. Anyways, I'm just going to skip a little bit here, going over to the defense. I gave you the overall grades yesterday. I want to look at more specific grades, run defense, tackling, pass rush coverage, and then get into the stats. Run defense, again, defense was kind of a a problem yesterday. Um, Only 11 of 18 had, uh, actually I lied, only 7 of 18 had average or better run defense grades. The three that performed well, Tyler Lancaster, Adrian Amos, and Tipa Galea. The people that did not grade out well below a 60, Preston Smith, T.J. Slayton, Devondre Campbell, Eric Stokes, Dean Lowry, Razul Douglas, Jonathan Garvin, Oren Burks, Kenny Clark, Darnell Savage, and Chandon Sullivan. That was from best to worst. So, um, you know, Kenny was pretty dominant as a pass rusher. 39 overall grade run defense. This was his... um, Actually, this is becoming a problem for Kenny with run defense. I don't know if it's bolstering his pass rush. Maybe. Maybe it's kind of one of those things where you emphasize one, you de-emphasize the other. His last three run defense grades, 39, 45, and 37. Three terrible run defense weeks in a row. Um, he had one other 39 in week three against San Francisco. Otherwise, he's been pretty solid. And yes, I still have a cough. It's annoying. I mean, it's, it's getting better, but it's just so annoying. It's literally been a month I don't have any other symptoms it's just I just need to cough sometimes. tackling the team is still fantastic. Um, basically the entire team was good. the fourth uh, fourth lowest grade was a 68.2 and that was TJ Slayton. there were three guys though that struggled Eric Stokes had a 44 overall grade Preston Smith with a 30 overall grade and Chris Barnes again the linebackers really struggled in this game 28 overall grade the highest we had let's just do top five. Kevin King, 75 overall. Adrian Amos, 79. Razul Douglas, 79. Devondre Campbell, 82. Darnell Savage, 85. That's not usually an area where he dominates, but uh, he did a good job tackling in this game. Run defense was low, but tackling was high. Pass rush grades, this is pretty remarkable. Usually, we do pretty well statistically, but our guys don't grade out super well. Maybe one guy will be like in the low 80s or something. We had Kenny Clark at a 72 overall grade. Preston Smith was sort of the third highest with a 90.5 overall grade. He actually tied Devondre Campbell with a 90.5 overall grade. Kingsley Kiki was number one with a 90.8 overall grade. Might as well just get to the stats since we're on it. Um, the reason Kingsley Kiki was so high, three. Um, oh no, I'm talking about Devo- Devondre was so high because he had three pressures, um, only eight attempts. Kingsley Kiki also had three pressures on 20 attempts, which is above 10 percent. Preston Smith with six pressures on uh, 29 attempts. We're talking about 20 percent there. Dominant game. He also had two sacks. Kenny Clark, five pressures on 34 attempts, which is great. Darnell Savage, one pressure on one attempt. Tyler Lancaster, one pressure on 10 attempts, so that's acceptable. Jonathan Garvin had two pressures on 14 attempts. Again, acceptable. Dean Lowry was the only one that was a bit of a... Oh, that's not true. He was a bit of a disappointment, one pressure on 25 attempts. The biggest, though, was Mr. Tipogalea, who, again, surprisingly, smaller or faster guy, you would think maybe he'll bring some pass rush, maybe some coverage, but nothing else. He had an 83 run defense, 73 tackling, zero pressures on 21 attempts, though. So uh, looking at stops, which is uh, tackles that are a negative play for the uh, offense, Adrian Amos, Kenny Clark. Uh, Dean Lowry, Kevin King, Kingsley Kiki each had one. Devondre Campbell, Tyler Lancaster, Oren Burks, and Tipu Galea had two. Preston Smith led the team with four. He also had a forced fumble in this game. There's no wonder why the guy had a basically a 90 overall grade. Um, six pressures on 29 attempts, two sacks, a hit, and three hurries. Um, two tackles, two assists, four stops on the day, a forced fumble. Guy was just all over the place. Coverage grades. Again, this is kind of where... Things were went sideways. Mr. Tipogaleo and uh, Devondre Campbell were the only two with good coverage grades. Um, everybody else was average or below average 50s and 60s. The three guys I graded out really poorly, though, Chris Barnes, Eric Stokes, and Kevin King. And when your top two corners, Stokes and King, your two boundary guys are that bad, that's, that's probably going to be a bad day. In terms of statistics, Eric Stokes got picked on the most, seven targets. Five of those were caught for 102 yards. That was his first big game, giving up, you know, triple digits. He also gave up a touchdown. So just kind of across the board, he was getting picked on, getting beat up on 153.3 passer rating when targeted. It's about it's about as bad as you hope you ever see him. Obviously you can do worse, but you don't want to see that. Razul Douglas um, was number two, six targets, five receptions, 52 yards. Um, Kevin King, five targets, four receptions, 77 yards and a touchdown. Chris Barnes, three targets, three receptions, 41 yards. Darnell Savage, three targets, one reception, and two pass breakups. Unfortunately, that wasn't two pe- two picks. Chandon Sullivan, two targets, two receptions, 26 yards. Henry Black, two targets, two receptions, and a touchdown. Devondre Campbell, two targets, two receptions, eight yards. Typical A and Oren Burks, one target, zero receptions apiece. Special teams, only one guy graded out positively. That was Henry Black with a 70.9 overall grade. Steve Wartell, big shocker, 29 overall grade. Uh, the only other guy that graded out negatively was I- Isaiah McDuffie, 49.9. Um, but yeah, Steve is is just, yikes. <laughs> it's just bad. And it, it it's funny because, not funny, but Hunter always used to be near the bottom, but he wasn't this bad. Special teams, obviously Mason got another bad grade for extra points made out of four. One field goal out of two. Um... He made the 50-yarder and missed the 30-yarder. Corey Bohorquez, two attempts, 98 yards, 45 net average, uh, 49 yards per attempt. 58 was his longest. Both of those were inside the 20-yard line. One of those was returned for 8 yards. Average hang time, 4.8 seconds. Anyways, that's it for uh, some of the PFF insights. Why don't we pick out a couple of these questions? I'm not going to go through all of them. There's not that many, but we probably won't go through all of them. Let's say that. And then um, and then we'll call it a day. Goose asks one of my least favorite questions in the world. <laughs> I, I don't know why I hate it so much, and I'm not trying to be mean, and I completely understand the question. I just, it just every time, I know it's coming, and every time somebody asks it, it's like, oh, my goodness. Are there any available is there anyone available in free agency or on our roster already, but you think can step up and bolster the offensive line? So it's, it's the free agency question, and it comes up all the time, but every time there's an injury or whatever else, or at the trade deadline or whatever, are there any free agents? I, I don't know why it is I don't like it. I, I think it's because every time I've tried to answer that question, first of all, it's one of those things where somebody asks you a question, and it's like, and I'm not trying to be mean, but it's like, so, so you want me to Google it for you, or...? So that's, that's what it is. It's a Google search. So I Google search free agents, and there's 17 different websites that list the free agent. Now, I understand some people, okay, well, I don't know, are any of these people any good? The problem is, I don't know, man. Well, I, I, I do know. I know they're all bad. That's why they're not on football teams. So I got to try to go through name by name. I mean, there's literally like 100, and I'm looking at 100 different guys who aren't good enough to be on football teams, and I'm trying to come up with like a list to tell you, like maybe this guy, when in the back of my head I already know they're not good, and that's why they're not on a football team. But at the same time, I know that sometimes teams pick up guys and they're good. The Packers have done that a couple times, so I don't know. It, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know what to do. And that's why, even when I've done that, when I give you that answer on the podcast, I always hate it because I'm always just reading a list of names, and it's like there's this guy, and then there's this guy, and then maybe I'll look at PFF and I'll be like, yeah. I mean he was good that one year. Um used to be good like when he was 25 and now he's 53. Is that is that interesting to any of you guys or <laughs> I just I don't know, man. No, I mean the, the answer is yes, there's lots and lots and lots of free agents. But they're not on football teams and that's for a reason. And so it comes down to I mean, partly trusting Guttekunst and the staff to find the right people to come in, but there just might not be right people either. So assuming there is a a human being out there somewhere in the world that is a right fit and that our coaches can get set up to do a good job, if that person exists, is Guttekunst and his staff going to be able to identify it? And are they going to go out and make a move to go get them? I have no idea. (laughs) I have no earthly idea. I don't know who the person is. I don't know if the Packers want him. I don't know if the Packers can afford him. I don't know if the guy even wants to play football anymore. Maybe he wants $10 million and he's not worth it. I I don't know. So I'm sorry that I took it out on you, Goose, but one of these times I just had to say it. Dude, I don't know. I don't know. I'll try to keep an eye on the free agent list. Maybe there'll be a name that pops up and I'm like, man, I want that guy. I just, I don't know what it is I want him. And I'll try to do a good job of paying attention to that. But every time somebody asks the question, it's like, oh, because I got to spend like 45 minutes and I know I'm not going to have an answer at the end of 45 minutes. I'm going to spend a lot of time and then do this podcast and be like, ah, let me read you these 50 names. And I guess that'll be my answer. I don't know. There are tons of not great football players available. That's that's the answer. Is there anyone already on our team that can bolster our line? Well, I do. I like Yash Nyman. I mean, I never have. I never understood why he was even on the team. Um, I I made a comment in passing before he kind of broke out, like, well, there's got to be a reason they really like the guy, and I don't know what it is. And then he kind of had a great preseason, and he's been able to step up in the regular season and do his job, and it's been nice. So there's that. Um, Dennis Kelly, I thought, was a fantastic addition. That was another example of a guy that if I saw him out on the street... After, you know, 45 minutes of searching, I see his name, and I'm like, this would be a great addition, right? Tennessee Titans. Uh, Matt LaFleur used to be his coach. He was actually very good in Tennessee. He played right tackle. I mean, this is a dream come true. I mean, it's, he's going to slot right in. He's going to be a great tackle. He's probably going to replace Billy Turner. There's every reason in the world to believe that. He's been awful <laughs> a few times, and I can't explain why. Why would that happen? I don't know, but he, he's not been very good. Um Maybe he comes in and and plays, maybe, I don't know. Other than that, like Ben Braden is, I think, the only other guy on the offensive line that I haven't mentioned, and I don't really have a ton of excitement about Ben Braden for any reason, but I guess we'll find out how it goes, I don't know. But anyways, now that I got that off my chest, Goose follows up with that and says, Also, why won't Matt LaFleur commit to the run game with only 15 total rushes Sunday? I can't help but feel this is part of the offense's problem. This, um, I feel like this has been an issue for a while. And I, I don't want to acknowledge it in my brains because it seems impossible, but it, it feels like it goes all the way back to that Denver game that I've referenced several times, right? The Packers were undefeated. They were unstoppable. Best offense in the world. And what Denver ultimately did is say, you know what? I think you're full of it. I, I'll give you an example. When I played football, the one year I played football in middle school, I was very tall, and so I was very good at football by virtue of the fact that I was tall, not because I was actually good, but because I was tall. So I got first-team offense, first-team defense, special teams. I played the whole game, offense, defense, special teams, and usually nobody ran at me when I was on defense. For some reason, this one team decided, let's run at that kid, the big guy. Let's run right at him, and they did, and I didn't tackle him because I'm not good at football. (laughs) <laughs> bottom line. And so they then they did it again, and I didn't tackle them. And they did it again, and I didn't tackle them. They said, let's challenge the one guy that everybody probably doesn't want to challenge, because I think maybe they're full of it. And they found out I wasn't great at football, and they ran at me like three times in a row. And I heard my coach scream from the sideline, Schlipp, if you effing let that kid through one more time, you're sitting on the bench the rest of the game. The guy on my team came up, he said, Did you hear what he said? I said, yeah, yeah, shut up. I heard him, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I didn't really know what to do. I, I I, didn't know, it was a terrible football team with terrible coaches. They didn't tell me how to tackle. I mean, they kind of explained it, like you got to get low. And I'm like, how am I supposed to generate power when I'm like, my shoulder, I'm supposed to lay on, like this doesn't make sense. And they just, I didn't, I didn't understand the mechanics of tackling. So, you know, I'm, I'm like squatting down, like, okay, I'm supposed to like tackle, you know, and they just run right through. He's like, this is stupid. So the next time the guy ran at me and i knew he would i just brought him to the ground being a large human being as though this was somebody that i didn't like and so i literally just jumped up put him in a headlock and spun him to the ground and flipped him on his back they didn't run at me anymore i didn't you know i knew that that was stupid i knew that's not how you're supposed to tackle but all i knew i just got to get this stupid guy to the ground all right and i don't understand like i'm i'm sitting here trying to like work out the biomechanics of how tackling is supposed to work, and I'm trying to think this through as this guy's just bowling right at me. I'm like, forget this. Anyways, that I went on a tangent with my story, but that, that was how that went. Point is, I think that's what Denver did with the Green Bay Packers passing attack. They said, I think you're full of it. You're not that good. And they challenged Aaron Rodgers to throw the ball. I think what we've seen recently, especially the last couple of weeks, and I've been harping on why do they keep throwing deep? I think it's because that's what the defense is telling them to do. And I think Aaron Rodgers is looking at that going, are you stupid? You're going to challenge me? It's a personal affront. If you're going to structure your defense to say, we're not scared of you throwing the ball deep. We're not going to let you run. We're not going to give you short dink and dunk passes. We're going to treat you like a rookie quarterback who can't execute by throwing the ball down the field. And so Aaron Rodgers takes that as a personal affront. And Matt LaFleur would never in a million years say, you know what? Let's, uh, <laughs> let's just not do it. All right, because I don't know if you can do it, just to be completely honest with you. And so what do we do? We attack the numbers. If that's what you're going to give us, if you're going to play single high safety, we're going to attack you down the field. The problem is we can't execute. Aaron Rodgers has been extremely inaccurate. And our guys generally are not getting open, and and we don't protect long enough to get our guys to develop down the field. All these issues compound. And so I, I might be incorrect, but I get the feeling that the Packers are challenging Aaron Rodgers to throw the ball. As much as that makes me feel sick to say it, I think if the numbers were as such that they were daring us to run the ball, we would run the ball. I think if they were playing us in a light box all the time because they were super scared of Aaron Rodgers, we would be pounding A.J. Dillon constantly. But they're not. They're saying, we're not going to let you run the ball. We're going to attack downhill. We're going to come after your quarterback. We're going to come after your running back. We're going to t- attack downhill toward your receivers. And if you want to beat us, you're going to have to take shots because I don't think you can do it. Now, Rodgers finally got some connections down the field. And I think that's why guys like MVS are so important because even just having that threat is going to force them to back off. But on some level, you got to be able to, to do it. And last year, he could. And that's par- probably part of the reason the offense was so successful. You can't play. No defense wants to give up big plays. That's That's like the number one thing for every defense. At the very least, even if we're terrible, let's try to mitigate the big plays. So if you can open up early and take a 40-yard chunk, scrap that whole plan. We're done with that. We, we, we've given up. But if we can press you and say, I bet you can't do it, and you prove through the first quarter— through the second quarter, through the third quarter, that you can't do it. And you just even attempting it is forcing you to get off the field because of the incompletions, because of the increased pressure that we're able to get because you're holding the ball longer. The more sacks that we get, you're not able to run the ball because, again, we're stacking the box against you. The point is that this is just phase one. We say, I dare you to throw it deep. Then the Packers are supposed to say, okay, and then we complete a pass because we have the greatest quarterback in the history of the universe, right, supposedly. So he throws a real quick, easy 50-yard bomb, and then the defense is like, all right, scrap that plan. Let's move to the new plan. And then that opens things up to throw shallow, to to run the ball, et cetera, et cetera. We can't get past phase one. We can't get past it. And so again, MVS coming back was supposed to be a big boon, and I think that's part of the reason he kept seeing the shots. Like, guess what? Now you're in trouble. Now we got MVS. Now you can't play this way. And if you dare to do it, we're going to prove you wrong. But he kept missing. So... If I, and I don't know how the Rams are planning on playing this. Maybe they're not even going to do that at all. Maybe they're just going to do two two safeties the whole game, and we go back to running the ball and, and throwing wide receiver screens and everything else, and it's going to be a glorious day. But it's not going to be a bad thing if the Packers open up real early with a deep shot. That's not going to be a bad thing. Because at the very least, it's going to illustrate to the Rams real early, even if they're not playing for us to do that. It's just sending a message. Don't even try it. We've got this in our back pocket we're in rhythm. We're in sync. We can do this all day long. Don't even try it. Anyways, I think I'm going to leave it at that. Um, we've got a holiday episode coming up. I'm not entirely sure what to do with that, but I do want to stash some of these questions in my back pocket um, because, you no, know, for several reasons. But uh, I'm suffice it to say, I'm going to need it. So um, I'm going to leave it at that. Thank you guys for your questions, Goose. Again, sorry for beating up on you a little bit, but. <laughs> <laughs> It's not. I mean, it's a good question. I just. I'm just telling you guys. I, you can ask it. I'm just not probably going to give you an answer that you like. But um, have yourselves a great day, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye bye.